So, you've got the uniform and the field equipment and have several events under your belt, but on this edition of the Reenactors Corner podcast, we ask the question, who do you think you are? As we talk about the best ways to create an authentic reenacting persona. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here again. I am excited about our episode today. We're going to talk about something that I think is really interesting, which is uh, your persona. What is the persona in reenacting? Uh, why is it important? How can you make one? So to talk about this subject today, I've got a couple of guests, uh, both of whom have been on the podcast previously. Um, Vili Graff from my reenactment group. Thanks for coming back, Vili. Thanks for having me. Also, uh, Rudy Lange, thank you for agreeing to come on and do this. Yeah, my pleasure, Chris. Okay, so both of you guys are really experienced and knowledgeable about the aspect of uh, the persona in reenacting and how to make it. Let's kind of start with some big picture stuff for people who may not really know too much about how this all works in reenacting. Um, you know, what is first person reenacting? Um, Vili, what, what, how would you describe this? Uh, it's a really broad question. Um, I think ultimately what it comes down to is kind of the acting part in reenacting in that it's also it also goes off into sort of the really nerdy cerebral part of it um where if you are and this is true to any time period not just world war ii reenacting is basically if you're you're trying to cre recreate something um it it can help at least for me uh for a mindset of to get into um you know the time period to actually create um a persona or a kind of an alternate personality of someone who uh, existed uh, during that time period um, so that you can sort of talk to someone, talk to your other people, uh, people can talk to you um, as if they are first person, uh, you know, things they directly experienced. Um, of course, all of this is all made up. Um, uh, things that happened during the time period, things that they experienced in real life that are incorporated and spoken about in a period way. Um, and it helps create kind of the illusion um, that takes place within events uh, and it helps create a mindset and sort of a mood and energy at events that I think um, can really enhance the experience uh, rather than just being like, hey, Dave, what's going on with your car? Um, you know, it just kind of uh, adds an element of, of realism, um, even though a lot of it is actually made up. Willie, what, what I would say, too, is to add to that is uh, once you give a person feelings and emotion, that mindset of the first impression, or the impression rather, you know, it becomes a living, breathing person, you know, at an event. It's not just filling up a Feldblusa and walking around. It gives it more merit. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I like to get into the, the role playing aspect of reenacting and there are people who regard this as cringy and um, really nerdy and embarrassing and they would never do it and they just want to put on the uniform and kind of be a 21st century American person who they are in the mindset of a 1940s European World War II soldier. Um, and that's, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily debate the merits of why you have to have it to me it's it's an important part of reenacting to me it makes reenactment feel more real i like to try to get into the headspace of the world war ii soldier and to try to think about things from what his perspective might have been and um to me you know, i think it just makes things feel more realistic but it certainly does take a little bit of you have to kind of get over yourself a little bit and get past the self-consciousness that comes with basically being an adult playing playing dress-up make-believe uh yeah i think i think that's a good point too and it's you know it's like anything you know the first time you do rifle drill it's incredibly awkward and weird and you may drop the rifle and look like a complete idiot and the same thing kind of happens with uh employing first person reenacting uh 
when you initially do it, uh, it definitely feels very contrived and kind of awkward and very fake. Um, but like anything with practice uh, um, and utilization of it, it becomes something that's a little bit more second nature and come across as a lot more real and a lot more authentic with time the more you do it. If you've decided that you're going to try first-person reenacting, um, the number one prerequisite to doing that is you have to create a persona. Um, Rudy, what, how would you describe like what a, what a persona is? Well, I think it, you know, it kind of comes down to, uh, you know, the persona is really becoming an individual. It's, uh, kind of getting into a whole nother element. And that persona is, you know, we're going to talk about that during this podcast, but it's, it's really taking on someone that you're not, but making it become you. And I know that's kind of an out-of-body saying, so to speak, but it's uh, really creating and molding uh, an impression. It's becoming someone that you're not and really making it your own. So to create um, a persona is something that re- requires some work. Um, mm-hmm. And we're, of course, going to be talking today about what exactly that entails and how to do it. Um Vili, what you know? I know you kind of indicated that you think it makes events more real. Is there um, an element of the work and the research involved that you think you know kind of augments your your approach to historical reenacting in general? There's a lot of things that you can do that can create a sense of realism at the event that may take less effort, right, and less research. Right. So you know, what is it that justifies sort of this this process that we're going to be talking? Sure. About? I think you know. The only real justification that, um, um, if we're going to use that word, that makes sense to me is just personal interest in doing it. Um, you know, my, I, I, I wrote out my persona a number of years ago. I need to update it. And it's, you know, it's like it was both an exercise in creative writing um, and historical research. Um, you know, it's like it's literally like 13 pages single space typed. Um, and it incorporates everything from, you know, personal family history to, you know, things that happened in my, um, you know, make-believe uh, hometown of Saarbrück and things that happened there as a result of uh, World War One uh, and thereafter. Um, and it's, it's just a way to enrich my own personal experience. You know, I, I don't, you know, sort of say, I don't want to knock anyone that doesn't do this stuff. I don't want to say it's something you have to do. Um, it's just part of what, uh, part of the appeal of reenacting to me. It's part of what uh, just enriches the entire experience. Um, sure. Rudy, does that kind of mirror how you feel about it? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there is a, there's a ch- sort of a challenge and, it takes time and effort to create this thing. Um, you know, do you feel that it, do you kind of feel the same way about it? Yeah, you know, Chris, I do. And uh, I'm going to take a little different approach on on it. Uh, being a long-term recruiting officer for Gross Deutschland, uh, see the company Gross Deutschland here in the U.S., uh, it's one of the things that we, I bring bring to the table with our incoming recruits right off the bat. You know, they register and we talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, but one of the things that I get excited about is talking to them about creating their own uh, persona, their first impression. And in, in my in my real life, I'm actually a social studies teacher. And so I, I'm able to take a little bit of an educator's approach to it and, uh, you know, assess the new recruit coming in and say, hey, you know, this is kind of like homework. This is something for you to do. But the exciting news is, is that don't view it as, woe is me, humdrum, you know, I have homework to do. This is exciting. This is something for you to take in your own hands and take a creative approach with it. Uh, you know, to sit down, do the research, look into, uh, you know, different historical backgrounds, towns, cities, all these things that we're going to talk about here shortly. But it's exciting for me to see these new recruits coming in and, and say, oh, wow, I, I have an opportunity to do this. Like, oh, this is some homework or challenge I'm willing to accept and, you know, something to take on with a little bit of passion. And uh, so for me, it's really exciting to see these individuals who are about to get into the world of living history, uh, you know, take on that challenge and be really excited themselves and get ready to delve into it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think if you are predisposed to do first person reenacting, creating when you're creating your persona is one of like the most exciting and fun things to do in the hobby. Like there's just so much into it and there's so much creativity you can take to it. And it's just uh, it's an amazing experience to really develop one. 
Yeah. And, you know, without a doubt, going back to the educator's standpoint, you can tell, you know, you can tell the student who is putting effort into their creative writing or, you know, putting a little bit of extra heart into their project. And to those who maybe didn't put 110 percent into it or could have cared less about the assignment, uh, you know, it, it really comes out in that person's first impression. Like, oh, yeah, this individual is really passionate about creating this. Uh, part of their living history experience or, uh, you know, maybe this person didn't really didn't really care too much about it. Uh, you know, I, I know when I first joined uh, nine years ago, the biggest difficult thing for me to do was pick out a name because they were so exciting. I was like, oh, I want to find a really good German name that's, you know, sounds Germanic and is going to make me look brave and strong when I'm out in the field. Uh, you know, and then learning the different languages or, oh, what does this name actually mean in German? And, you know, it, it's it's a process, but it's one that can be really exciting, you know, if you take on the challenge. So I guess let's just dive into the um, the how-to, you know, the practical aspects of how to create this persona. Um, you know, what, Vili, do you think would be like a very good sort of a place to start or, uh, the, you know, the initial thoughts that you think somebody might have when they're first uh, beginning to craft this persona? Sure. Um, so I can just talk a little bit about sort of how I approached it. And, you know, people have different approaches, different ways. Um, but what made the most sense to me was to figure out um, what my age was going to be. Uh, actually, let me back up a little bit. Uh, when you're creating a persona, uh, you know, it's an incredibly broad thing. Um, it can be something that is really based on your real life practical experiences, uh, or it can be something that's completely made up. Um, you know, you could make up siblings that you don't actually have in real life, or you could, you know, use an experience you've had with your actual brother or sister or parents to form what's going on. Um, so you can pick out some of that stuff, but um, I think one of the, the good things to start with is to figure out how old you want your persona to be. And, you know, most World War II events, you know, uh, 43, 44-ish, so somewhere around, um, you know, that year. Um, and then think about what your life experiences would be like up to that point in your age. Um, and when I did mine, I kind of put like a little outline together of my entire life up to, you know, my age and, uh, at, at that time. Um, and your real life? Yeah, my real life. Yeah, my yeah. real life. Um, and, you know, some of the historical events that happened to me when I was a kid, when I was a middle adult, you know, you know, places I, I lived, the way I moved out of places, things that happened, relationships. Um, and then I made a quick outline of actual historical events that happened in, you know, uh, the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I looked at where I could match them up, you know, like how would I, how would I have experienced something, uh, you know, when I was a teenager in, you know, the 1920s or the 30s? And how would I have responded to, uh, you know, Hitler coming to power, you know, if assuming I lived in Germany or outside of Germany? Um, how would I have responded to or thought about, um, you know, my grandparents who lived in some, some part of Germany or not? And I looked at how I could sort of incorporate those two things together and then started putting in some details, uh, which we'll get more into that in a little bit. But that was sort of my, my starting my starting point is what is my age and what are my life experiences that I wanted to incorporate into my persona at that point. Rudy, um, you know, what, what do you think would be a great way to get started when you're first going about starting to do research for your persona? I, I think that... So, some individuals who get into the world of living living history, uh, you know, have, they have a little bit of a leg up if they actually have Germanic uh, descendancy or, you know, family that grew up uh, during the war or prior to the war, you know, moved to the States then because it, then they have an opportunity to go back and look at their own uh, family history. And if it's something they feel comfortable with, it's something their family feels comfortable with, then they can take on a, a relative of theirs. And, you know, that, that leads down a whole, a whole avenue in itself in terms of family research and family history and then kind of creating it based off of that. Uh, but I think that if you, you aren't blessed enough to, to have that, uh, that route, uh, then it, it comes down to, uh, you know, maybe personal memories, a certain part of Germany that you've read about in a book or heard stories of. And, hey, maybe I'm going to research a little bit of that, that part of Germany or, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a tr tricky topic just because there's so many venues you can go, uh, in terms of creating your first, first impression, your own persona. And, uh, it's, it's one of those things where there might be something that sparks a thought or a memory and say, Hey, you know what, this name resonates with me, or 
Uh, I remember reading a childhood book that talked about uh, Munchen, so maybe I'll start researching that. Uh, but uh, it's it's not an easy thing, but it's a challenging, rewarding thing, and it, everyone's got their own tale about how they start start their own persona. Sure, um, you know I think not everybody in reenacting has a researched persona for their first person mm-hmm. impression, but I think everybody has a name. Virtually everybody has, at the very least, uh, an alter ego, uh, a Germanic name or a European name that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, Rudy, what are some of the ways that people could find names to go? I mean, if someone has absolutely no idea, no family connection to draw back on, um, you know, how do you how do you choose a name for this? That that's uh, that's another obstacle that is a, a joyous obstacle, in my opinion. Uh, we can sit back and think of uh, different films you watched growing up, or. Uh, different names that you, that you might have heard in a film or a TV show, Hogan's Heroes. Uh, so you think of all these names, Otto, Kurt, that start popping in your head, and you kind of just have to pick one or narrow it down to a handful that sound good. Be like, oh, you know, I, I could see myself being called this or that. Uh, obviously, there's the um, Deutsches Kriegs uh, Bund for... Uh, the online archives for soldiers that passed away or are buried in foreign cemeteries. Uh, that's a great, great way to start looking for various names. Uh, there's also the death cards or obituary cards that have names on it. And uh, Chris, I, I believe it was you that I spoke with some time ago about how you see a lot of Hanses or a lot of Autos or, uh, you know, uh, you see a lot of... Uh, last names that are all the same when you see a unit you know there's a million of the same name but in reality there's so many various different names that you can find and uh, you know obituary or death cards is a great way to do it um, Xavier for example um, also lots of old magazines or newspapers they have plenty of names in there so that's also a great a great venue to look through uh, I have a weird obsession with collecting literature and uh, paper items from the time period so uh, if you can look at even some of those online, you'll see plenty of various different names. And I think that's a really good uh, jumping off point for picking one. How did you come up with Rudy Lange? Uh, you know, as I said earlier, one of the most difficult things was picking my name. When I first joined GD, I literally had a page full of names. There had to have been at least a dozen names on there that I thought were cool or a name I'd heard from, you know, watching The Longest Day as a Boy. Uh, but, uh, oddly enough, I actually worked at a, uh, relatively popular grocery chain here on the Eastern seaboard, uh, called Wegmans. And I worked with a girl and we started talking one day and I said, Oh, your, your last name is, uh, Wagner, uh, you know, Germanic Wagner. And, uh, so we started talking and her grandma, her Oma actually came into the store and she introduced me and said, this is Will. He's really into social studies and teaching history. And uh, I quickly found out her whole story. And her family had came from Germany. Uh, They were from uh, Silesia. And she had told me about how her family were poor farmers and how they were very distraught because after World War I, obviously Germany and that whole region had, uh, you know, the severe depression and economic times were very difficult. And her family were was struggling to get a loan from the bank to keep their uh, farm up and running. And as a little girl, she can remember just despising the banks and people that ran it because she thought their family was going to lose everything. And uh, lo and behold, this uh, guy named Hitler came in and promised a, a change of things and a, a new Germany and a better Germany. And so her family was enthralled with the fact that, hey, here's someone who's promising some change. And um, once the NSDAP came into power, they obviously got a bank loan and things started to improve. And, um, you know, we can talk more about her story down the road, but uh, that chance meeting at Wegmans is what uh, led me into uh, the impression for Rudolf Lange, uh, Rudy Lange. Um, she had three brothers. Uh, two of them served in the uh, Wehrmacht. One was uh, in the here and the other was in the Luftwaffe. 
And the third brother actually had migrated to the United States and served in the U.S. Army and requested. It sounds like a movie or a storybook story, but uh, he actually requested to go to Japan so he didn't have to, uh, you know, be fighting in the European theater. But uh, that's how I uh, came up with my persona. So I was fortunate enough to be able to talk to someone who lived through that time, who could tell me a lot of the stories um, feelings that she had, things that she had witnessed. And so I was able to create my impression uh, based off of her family uh, history with, with their blessing, which has been quite an experience. That's really cool. Vili, your uh, approach was totally different for your name. Mine, mine uh, you know, I kind of laughed when you, uh, uh, Rudy, when you mentioned you had a problem, pick up your name, because that was a big problem I had before my first event, too. Um, I had, uh, long before I started reenacting, um, I had a real big interest in uh, a lot of stuff with the White Rose Society. And when I started, before I went to my first event, I was trying to come up with a German name, and I had no idea what to do for it. And I was trying to come up with some combinations of, like, really kind of like uh, background characters who were involved in that history. Uh, and I was using combinations of first and last names, and, like, I was bouncing some of them off Chris. And, like, you know, we weren't kind of, like, neither one of us were really sold in any of them. And then it came down to, like, I don't know, like, 12 hours before a first event. And I'm like, holy hell, i got to come up with a name real quick. Um, and I had just a couple of things that popped up in my daily life that day that uh, were references to the name uh, Vili and Graf that were unrelated to each other, uh, who also ended up having to be one of the, the major characters uh, in The White Rose, which I did not want to use at all because that just seemed way too presumptuous. Um, but being in a pinch to do it and those kind of things that popped up on that day i bounced that off idea off chris and he was like yeah this works great he looked i remember you looking at something up in the obituaries and you'd seen a whole bunch of them in the Volksbund, yeah um, very very many german soldiers um, with that name so it just kind of happened that way um and i had intended at that point to change it at some point in the near future because i did not want to take that name on because of the the actual historical person um but it stuck and i've had it ever since hmm. i think i might already have told this story um, so I'll just keep it brief. But when I got started in reenacting, I was 21 years old and I kind of saw myself as like a young person and I wanted to embody something about young people in World War II. And um, I had visited Germany a couple of times um, in the years immediately prior to when I got started in reenacting and I had a bunch of photographs that I had taken at military cemeteries of soldiers who were killed in World War II, their graves. And there was one grave that jumped out at me. It was a, a person who was really young. He was only um, 15 years old when he died very close to the end of the war. And that kind of theme of, um, you know, this terrible waste to this person who was basically a child who died so close to the end for nothing, really. I just... Um, that story echoed with me, and that person's name was Gunther Stahl. And so I chose the name Gunther Stahl for my reenactment impression, and I had that name for 10 years um, or something like that. And I finally um, decided at one point to change it because I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not a young person anymore. And the kind of story that my name was an echo for um, didn't really relate anymore to my life or experience and so um, I did a hard reset on my persona and I created something new and I thought maybe if I choose something that's related to my my real last name you know maybe, maybe if I look at the Volksbund database of people who died in World Wars 1 and 2 and look at my real name which is an English name and see if anything similar comes up and there were a bunch of people who had names that were um, you know, incredibly close to my last name. And there was one person whose name was Victor. And he wasn't even a soldier. He was, I was able to do some research and learn about this person. And he was just a civilian laborer in um, 1945 when the Russians came to his village and they basically put him on a truck and sent him to Siberia and he was never seen again. And I thought that that's a pretty interesting story. So I decided to change my name to, 
you know, Victor with my real last name. But of course, I've been reenacting at this point for so long that at every event I would go to, regardless of what I would prefer to be called, people would say, hey, Stahl, Stahl, is that you? Stahl, come over here, you know. So I realized I was never going to be able to escape that last name. So it became Victor Stahl. And that's the name that I use today. So Rudy, you know, what, what about, let's say you've got a name. Um, maybe a next step is figuring out where you're from. You mentioned the idea of maybe if you had, if you had a, a recollection of a, of a childhood story or whatever that took place in a particular place. Um, but I mean, what, we've got to go more kind of detailed than that, right? You need to have a, a real hometown and a real place where you're from. So what are some resources that you can use to, um, to kind of nail that down? Well, you know, the, the easiest is kind of playing a Russian roulette, and it's almost just getting onto Google Maps, typing in Germany, maybe hitting a key or two and, and see, see where it takes you. Uh, you know, you can literally zoom into to buildings. So picking down and narrowing down a street or a city is, is uh, pretty, pretty easy that way. You know, and sometimes it takes a little bit of searching, and then you find something that strikes you. Um, uh, one thing that you could really do is, and it goes back to thinking about a certain city or town that, that sticks out to you, or maybe there's a, a certain part of German history that appeals to you. Uh, you know, obviously the cities, just like, you know, any odd modern day populace has more people. So a lot of people tend to gravitate toward the larger cities, you know, Berlin, uh, München. Uh, I know that I was fortunate enough to do a little bit of traveling in Europe. And so I, I have a weird fascination with Berlin and the Brandenburg tour and the Olympics. And so when I was in Berlin, I was able to go to a lot of the outlying cities. And, uh, um, so if you have the, if you're fortunate enough to do some traveling, you might be able to, to find a town that, uh, you know, uh, resonates with you and you can kind of do some researching from there. Uh, also, it kind of depends on which unit you decide to join. Uh, if you're able to do a little bit of history in regards to the unit, uh, you can find a lot of resources about the men who served in that unit, where they might have come from. Uh, Großdeutschland, uh, you know, they had their barracks uh, in Kopis, in uh, outside of Berlin. So you can, if you're fortunate enough to have a unit like that, you can kind of look at, okay, I, I know I'm from, we did training in Kopis. I can maybe learn a little bit about that. Uh, and then maybe I'll look on Google Maps and, and find a street based off of that. Or uh, I also have binders full of postcards. I love postcards from the 30s and 40s. So every once in a while, I take a look on the on the rear side and say, OK, you know, who who sent this? Where was it going to? Uh, maybe there's a, a scene from Kiel or Lebeau. OK, well, now I can start looking at northern Germany uh, and build my persona off of a town or city or street uh, from there. Uh, and that can lead into occupations as well, too. But th those those are some of the, the great assets we have to look in towards uh, narrowing down towns, cities, streets, etc. Vili, did you, um, when you chose where you were from, was that based on the real historical character of Vili Graf? Uh, it was. But first, I want to go back to some stuff Rudy just said. You know, I think aside from what he said about um, uh, researching where people in a specific unit might be that you joined, you know, I think the core of what he said was like start off with something that resonates. And I think that's a great thing is, you know, find something, find a town, a city, some part of German history uh, that resonates with you and start looking at that and trying to figure out if you can kind of link your geographical history um, uh, from your persona to that. Um, but back to your question. Yeah, I, you know, when I was putting my persona together, um, I knew so much about um, you know the personal life of, of various people in the White Rose that it was very very easy for me to just sort of like adapt some of that um, because you know it was research I had already been doing for years at that point. Um, so I basically took uh, some of the the historical uh, facts of those people's lives and incorporated it and melded it with, you know, historical facts of my own life in terms of experiences and things like that. Uh, basically, Saarbrücken and, you know, part of my, you know, I'm an older reenactor at this point. I'm 47 right now. Um, so uh, my persona includes part of being exposed to things that happened around the Great War. Um, and considering that was right on the border around France, there was a whole bunch that happened there. So that was able to uh, sort of um, put together parts of my persona that, that saw that and experienced that and bring that into what I'm experiencing uh, in World War II, um, you know, in quotes, experiencing World War II. Sure. Um, so 
I guess kind of as a diversion, um, there might be some people listening who aren't familiar with the White Rose organization. What what were those guys? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, there was a bunch of people involved, ranging from high school students to, um, you know, older college professors and people in their, um, you know, their 60s. Uh, but the core of it was uh, college students who were um, uh, basically drafted into the war. Um, most of them were sent to the Eastern Front. Um, and they then started this kind of, like, leaflet campaign uh, against some of the things they were seeing and against National Socialism. And then they were all arrested. Some of them were beheaded. Um, and um, that's that's a short version. Okay, sure. So a resistance, civilian resistance. Yeah, so like, well, yeah. Um, so all right, Rudy. Um, so if you've chosen your name and where you where you are from, uh, what do you think is kind of the next thing to to nail down? Uh, you, you, if you take a look at uh, you know your sold book, you start to just go through the initial pages. Uh, you know, you'll run into who was your family. Uh, you know, do you have a mother? Do you have a father? Are they married? Do you have any siblings? Uh, and so if you have family history, you know, that's perfect for relating to that. But if not, that's where the world of creativity really starts to flower and blossom because, you know, you can kind of create it your own. Do I want to have any siblings? Do I have siblings in my real life? Maybe I'll kind of just plug them in there and then I can use my real life experiences to kind of transform myself back to the 1920s and 1930s. Uh, so starting with your family is a big thing uh, that coincides with your occupation. Uh, are you going to use your occupation from, you know, what it is that you're currently doing in modern life? Uh, have you always wanted to work in a shipyard, even though you might be a teacher in real life? Well, go ahead and, you know, create that shipyard persona. Start researching that. Um, and, you know, that's the fun part is you get to really kind of make it make it your own. So. I would suggest, you know, families and then uh, creating your own occupation is probably the next steps once you've narrowed down the name and the, the birthplace, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. Uh, you know, just a few minutes ago, I actually picked up an original soul book that's here in front of Chris's desk and was looking at it. And um, pages and two, pages two and five, I think that's the the, the, the a great place to start for putting together the rest of it because, you know, that includes, you know, what Rudy just said, extended family, occupation, where people are from. Um, and you can start filling in uh, the details with that also, just like he said. Um, the one thing that I generally find is that it's easier um, to remember uh, stuff that actually happened in your real life, in your actual family, as to making up pretend siblings and mm -hmm. stuff like that because you might get tripped up if you're, you know, not, not, not thinking too much about yeah. it. Um but yeah, that's that's uh, um, you know I think the those pages in the Soul Book is a great place to start with filling in that information, other, that other information. Yeah, the the Zold Buch, for anyone out there who doesn't know what we're talking about is the identification document that every World War II German soldier carried, and this document in classic Third Reich bureaucratic fashion is like super complicated. It's you know it's basically a little booklet that contains a lot of information about all the awards that you got and the units that you've been in and hospitalizations and your leave records and everything but it also contains the basics of your personal information and every soldier who had a sold book in real life would have been very familiar with all of his personal information that was entered in there you know he would know who his next of kin was he would know the address of his next of kin and i think as a reenactor um you know, you really should know that. If somebody somebody should be able to take your reproduction sold book with the information that that you have entered in there or that was entered in there by whoever filled it out for you, and be able to kind of quiz you. Okay, so um, you know who's who's your what's your wife's name? What's your wife's address? And you should be able to answer those mm -hmm. questions. I think. Um, I think you know, circling back a little bit around to the occupation, that can be a really tricky one because. Having um, an occupation, especially um, I think during the World War II and pre-war era, for a lot of people that meant a trade mm -hmm. and that meant a lot of specialized knowledge. So if you're not going to use your actual occupation, um, there may be a lot of research ahead of you to be able to speak with authority on technical aspects of a career that maybe you've never really worked in. Um, also, there are things that you can choose as far as occupations that kind of relate to skills that you might be able to use in reenacting, maybe even at events, 
Um, for example, if you're interested in being a cobbler, if you're interested in attending events and maybe working on people's shoes, it maybe would make sense. Yes, I've been a cobbler in civilian life as well. And you'd have to know about um, the actual functional how-to of that job, but also what, what that job was like, what that job entailed. One other thing I, I just thought of when you're doing that too, when you mentioned that, is one other thing you can also add to uh, details to building out your persona is uh, things that actually happen to you at reenactments. Um, you know, there's if you've been doing it for a while, uh, there's constant things that happen that you know might be really significant events or really interesting stories or something that you can build into your you know your your battle-tested persona or something. Um, you know, we've certainly got plenty of them we can talk about. Sure. Well, you know, let's let's get into that, Rudy. Um, let's say you've you've figured out your name, you know where you're from, you know what your occupation is, your family, all the stuff that goes into the sold book. Um, taking a step back. From there, you know, what is what is the next thing that you go to? Is it um, kind of the first-hand accounts, the the details of your life, and how can you sort of um, create sort of fake memories for your persona that that relate to World War II? Yeah, you know, this is a great question. I think it really kind of comes back to what Vili was saying in the beginning. Just it's this is the part that really makes your first persona come to life when you get to an event. This is what makes the event for you and creates that dialogue, that mentality. You know, you're no longer just showing up and, hey, I'm going to walk around at this event or, you know, hey, did, the, did the Steelers win the football game this weekend type mentality? Uh, so this is where you really need to start thinking back to a couple of the questions you just you just uh, pondered about. Uh, do I have siblings? How old am I? Uh, would I be a student at this time? You know, what, what is my job? Am I in the middle of a trade? Uh, where, where is my town? What is going on in that town during that time period of history? Uh, maybe get on to, you know, the wonderful Internet and research your town and say, OK, well, there's museums there. Uh, there's a central river that runs through the city. Uh, here's a very popular spot for doing X, Y and Z. You know, maybe I can think about if I was a young man, what would be happening during this time period? Would I be visiting this? Uh, is there a mountain nearby? Maybe I can think of when my my brother and I walked to the mountain and, uh, you know, he fell and broke his leg. Uh, am I a young man attending a university? What are my classes like? Am I meeting new people? Uh, have I traveled to another city to attend a university? And some of this stuff is actually happening in your everyday life. You know, you might be finding a new job. Uh, okay, well, how can I relate that to a first persona? Uh, am I considering a trade? Am I looking at going to a school? Uh, if for our younger guys, you know, did I attend a school dance recently? How did that make me feel? What, what if I was going to a school dance in 1938? Um like I said earlier, I love the Olympics. Maybe you can regale stories of, oh, I can remember seeing uh, the planes fly into the Tempelhof and look at all the the athletes from all the all over the world coming. So th there's it's really an, a joyous thing because there's a plethora of ideas and memories that you can kind of hash hash out. And one of the great ways of finding that is just reading personal accounts or stories, you know, from the 30s and 40s and uh, kind of gleaning information from that and making them your own or coming up with new memories that are created loosely based off of those different events. Uh, Billy, you know, when, when you were creating your persona, obviously um, you weren't going to be taking memories from the real Billy Graf. So what were some of the things that you uh, initially, when you were first making your persona, kind of tried to to flesh it out with with sort of fake memories sure um you know it was you know i think i really i mean i had a cursory persona ready to go at my first event and but i think you know i've been reenacting for maybe about a year and a half or so before i started really going deep with it and i started taking some of the things that happened at events some of the things i'd seen um 
you know, just kind of day-to-day, like, sort of, like, field craft battle type stuff happened. Um, and then I also took, you know, things from my personal life. You know, I'd taken uh, things from a breakup that happened before uh, before I started reenacting. Uh, you know, I'm a, I've been skateboarding my entire life. I'm a skateboarder. I've broken so many bones. Um, you know, I've used some of those stories to craft, you know, how I got a wound badge. Um um, you know, I've, I've, I, when I talk about, um, skateboarding at an event, I actually talk about it in the context of soccer as opposed to skateboarding so I can make it period correct. You know, these are very easy things to sort of cross over and, and, and transfer into a, uh, period type conversation. Um, and again, it's sort of like when you're talking about things that you've actually experienced in life, uh, you're able to do it in a much more believable way and you're to be able to talk about it with a lot more conviction because it's actually real. It's things that actually happen to you. Um, and that is what I think really going back to what Rudy was saying at the very beginning of this whole podcast, those are the things that really breathe life into what you're doing and really make it sort of like a, a living person, uh, and a real, a real tangible thing. Sure. Um, and you mentioned also then after you had been reenacting for a while, taking things that happened to you at reenactments and then incorporating them into yeah, your I, uh, story. Yeah, one, one of my favorite ones of that, um, you know, I wasn't, wasn't too happy at the time. I had my first kidney stone in my entire life uh, at 3 a.m. At, at Newville, and I had no idea what was happening to me. All I know is I had this, you know, like horrific pain in my side. I thought I was dying. I thought my internal organs were exploding. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and, uh, you know, that sort of, you know, one, it gave me a perspective as to like, okay, this is what it's like to actually get injured in the field when you're away from anything. Um, and that was something I was able to incorporate into my persona and sort of talk about, um, you know, in kind of a, a very real way too. Sure. R- Rudy, what about you? I know that you got to interview a lot of veterans. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the person that you, from the chance meeting at Wegmans, were there other people whose kind of life stories you were able to sort of uh, draw from and, and kind of create some anecdotes that way? Yes, yes. Uh, there, there was many, but there's really one that's, that sticks out to me. And uh, uh, I had a chance meeting uh, with this lady named Solveig Benson. Uh, I actually worked with uh, a woman at a school and her last name was Clemens and she knew I was really into uh, German history. And she said, Oh, well you, you know, you would have loved my ex mother-in-law. She was very German and she has all these stories about when she was a girl and yada, yada, yada. And oddly enough, uh, she actually ended up living 15 minutes from, from me in a city that I had just moved from. So when I, uh, went back to the city I had just moved from, I was able to set up a, um, a meeting with her, with Solveig Benson. And her original name was Solveig Hoffman Clemens. And uh, I could talk forever about her story because she really is just one of the most fascinating women I've ever met. Um, she unfortunately passed uh, in 2018. Um, but just a real brief, brief overview uh, you know, talking with Solveig was great because she was named after the famous heroine uh, from a, the German opera. And she can remember going to the opera house as a young girl and, and seeing the, the woman that she was named after. And uh, she was she was from Berlin. And it was really fascinating for me because her family's home was right across from the uh, barracks where the Wachregiment Kostdeutschland was actually uh, courtiered in. And so she regaled me with these wonderful stories about seeing the Kostoichland uh, soldiers coming and going and training. And um, every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday, the Wachregment would march throughout Berlin. And, you know, it was too much fanfare. And she could always tell me about, you know, being a girl, seeing that and, uh, you know, how passionate it made her feel, uh, you know, for Germany and, uh, you know, kind of the revival of the country after World War One. Uh, but she she told me about how uh, on the eve of uh, Barbarossa, you know, leading up to the invasion of Russia, uh, she can recall as a young girl, all these trucks rolling in and picking up the troops and taking them out because they were all, you know, headed toward the Eastern Front. And she just recalls how quiet everything was after that. There was no more singing from the soldiers or, you know, the... Uh, the marching of the Marsh Diefel. And so it was a bit, bit of a sad day for her. But uh, in, in talking with her, 
and this this really gave me a an opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, her grandfather, actually uh, Herr Hoffman, created the very first public library in uh, Dresden, Germany. Uh, so prior to this, libraries were sort of more for the affluent individuals. You usually had to pay to belong to them. They were almost sort of like social clubs. And so she told me about how he started this library in Dresden, and it was to great fanfare. Um, uh, Hitler actually attended the opening of the library, and as a young girl, she sat on his lap. And she told me that she could recall just being really uh, overwhelmed because everyone was excited and cameras and the place was packed and the hustle and bustle. And to her, she was just like, I'm sitting on this, this man's lap. This is very strange and awkward. And so we kind of got a little bit of a kick out of that. But when I actually went to Germany to go to one of the uh, I was fortunate enough to go to uh, Dresden and go to that library and I was able to talk to the workers there and explain, hey, I'm, I, I know the lady whose grandfather made this. And the librarians jumped with joy. They said, oh, you know, she comes here every couple of years for speeches. Tell her we said hello. And so it was great to be able to walk through this building where so much history had happened and being able to talk to the granddaughter of the individual who started that. Uh, and, you know, she told me so many other stories talking about uh, she remembers getting all the wooden things out of the attics uh, due to the Allied bombings in Berlin. Uh, she spent her birthday in a uh, her 16th birthday in a bunker outside of Berlin because they had vacated the city due to the bombings. And she can recall, recall seeing everything inflamed. And um, her father actually served under Rommel uh, in the Africa Corps, he was a, uh, a Hauptmann in the uh, 5th Regiment of a Panzer Battalion that was attached to the Stubbs Company. And so she could, she would always tell me about how Rommel was their hero and, you know, he was a true German soldier. And uh, her father actually ended up getting transferred uh, to the Eastern Front and served under uh, Hasso von Manteuffel. And uh, he ended up getting captured by the Russians and... He escaped twice, believe it or not, uh, but he was captured again and they, they never heard from him. And so they just assumed that he had perished uh, in the Eastern Front. But uh, just after the war, she had been walking around and randomly enough in, in war-torn Berlin, she ran into her father on a side street. And this was this was two or three years after the war. And he had come back to Berlin and uh, had remarried and since had a child and she was just distraught because she couldn't believe that he had ran off and didn't bother to look for his family. And so from that moment on, she kind of disowned him. But she had actually married a German soldier who, uh, you know, fell on the Eastern Front. And after the war, she fell in love with someone who served under Patton, got married and uh, moved to the States. Um, but, you know, that's that's just one more example where you can kind of take stories that you either read about in books or if you're fortunate to talk to individuals who live through it uh, and kind of use their stories to enhance your own persona. I love that story. That's, that's, that's an, wild. It's an incredible story. Mm-hmm. I, it's really interesting to imagine going off to war and then uh, the war ends and you just kind of start a new life without going back to your old family and life because you you don't want to or whatever. You know, the weird opportunity to kind of hit a reset button in your life. It's really interesting to imagine. Yeah, it's it's unfortunately it's one of those things where I think that the truth is going to be lost to to father time. You know, uh, you know, had he tried looking for her family, was it one of those things where he just wanted a clean start? You know, I, I guess we'll I guess we'll never know. What an unbelievable moment that must have been when she was like, "Hey, you're my dad." <laughs> <laughs> oh, can't even fathom. So I think we've kind of kicked around some ideas for how to. Um, how to get the basics of your impression, how to um, create some sort of stories or anecdotes to kind of spice up your your make-believe life. Um, so what's the practical application of all of this stuff? How do you use it? Uh, Vili, what, what's your take on this? <laughs> um, the practical application, that's an interesting one. So uh, the last time I was on the podcast, um, I remember we did something about what would make events better. And I had said the one thing that I hoped that would I thought would make 
events better is if more people did first-person reenacting. Um, and I think the practical application of it is, and again, this is just kind of going off into the cerebral nerdy stuff, and some people, you know, are not not uh, down with this, and that's fine. But the practical application for me is that it, it makes things a little bit more uh, nuanced and fun and creative and uh, energized at events. Um, you know, there are times when me and Chris and um, uh, other members of our units are off doing our own little uh, thing in the field. And, you know, we're talking first person and we do it for, you know, two hours or something. And it's, you know, it, it makes it feel a lot more like a... Uh, an immersive experience um, and that's sort of you know one of the reasons why I do reenacting and one of the things I look to get out of it so it helps with all of that. Vili, uh, you know I think uh, what you're kind of getting at here is um, that the practical application of it really is just to sort of communicate with other people um, in the context of your persona and hear about their their perspective right? Yeah it's you know it's um it's an element of both storytelling and learning about history at the same time, um, because you know you can, as we've talked about to this entire thing so far, um, a good persona has has parts of both of that in it, um, and it's a way to just sort of um, you know again communicate with people in your your unit, other units, um, and uh, just enrich the entire experience. Rudy, what are some things that you can talk about with? with regard to your persona when you're when you're at the event with the other guys in your group? Yeah, you know, here again, the possibilities are endless. It can be something as simple as, oh, you know, I, re I remember when I was walking down the river in Dresden and I stopped at this cafe and I had the most delicious chocolate, blah, 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 blah. So you can talk about foods that you enjoy, bring it back to, you know, a period type discussion. Uh, to go along with the skateboarding thing, I love football. So for me, uh, you know, American NFL football, that is. And so for me, it's easy to relate it to, oh, uh, you know, as I said before, Rudy Langa's family was poor farmers from Silesia. But oh, one, one time we were fortunate enough to go on a family trip into the city and we were able to watch, a, uh, you know, the, the Berlin foosball boon or soccer team play a match. And so you can kind of kind of twist it and kind of give it a little bit of a different perspective, but bring these uh, modern events into, uh, you know, a, pe a period manner. Uh, you know, you, did you purchase a new car recently? Oh, you, have you seen the new Opal Blitz that's out? Uh, if I'm a firm believer in bringing out newspapers or periodicals or, you know, period magazines, if you can, to discuss different current events that are going on. Uh, you know, maybe peruse through them before you get to an event and then it's something that's fresh in your mind and you can say, oh, hey, did you did you hear about this that happened, you know, in, in this county or something along that lines? Uh, but it's, it's really about using your imagination and being able to tie in things that would have happened in your civilian life or your modern day life and, uh, you know, putting it into a 30s and 40s perspective. Was there a new movie that came out? Uh, you know, has, how's your family doing? Are you having a child? Is your aunt well? Uh, and when you start that dialogue with your other other uh, living historians in your unit or in other units, and you start to understand not only your own persona, but theirs too, uh, you know, that, that allows for that dialogue, that conversation to happen. And you become vested not only in your own impression, but others' impressions as well. And, you, you know, it might not be fluid at first, but the more you try and the more you more effort you put into knowing your persona and others that allows for those conversations to mesh and just just be uh, become more automatic yeah rudy I, I really look forward to having a first person conversation with you in the field someday <laughs> likewise likewise um i you know i think we might have mentioned this on a previous episode of the podcast but i think people can get sometimes so daunted about first person interactions and persona stuff because they think that it means that you need to know what happened on, you know, Tuesday, May 17th, mm -hmm. 1942 in such and such a city. When in reality, Rudy, it's like you say, you can take things from your, your, how your week went at work or whatever, and just use some imagination and express that in a World War II context. I remember um, being in an event one time years ago with another guy from my group, and he was talking about how he couldn't wait to get out of the field and be able to get back into the village um, to enjoy some of the tasty flatbed 
flatbreads that were the local specialty of, of the villagers. And I knew that what he was talking about was going to Taco Bell, getting a taco. <laughs> uh, but he's talking about it in this period correct way. And you could do that with, with almost anything, really. Yeah, I can recall sitting at an event and we were uh, discussing finances and we had kind of twisted it in terms of not not necessarily investing into a 401k, but, uh, you know, hey, back in Silesia, I have this cupboard where I've been trying to save a couple of Fennings or Reichmarks so I can, uh, you know, someday when I when this war is over, enjoy yada, 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 uh, or be able to talk about your pay, you know, your pay rate as a soldier. Oh, yeah, the Zollmeister was able to give me X amount of Reichmark or, um you know, just things along that line that kind of make it interesting that that have that that modern idea, but you can adhere it to you know a period terminology. Yeah, Billy, you and I have uh, had an opportunity to do that really countless times. Um, you know, in in whether it's maybe even in a lighthearted way, talking about something that we bought on eBay. Um, you know, and and trying to find a way to to make that. Um, something that we obtained on the black market or something that we were issued or whatever, ranging to, you know, sometimes, yeah, a little more um, kind of informed talk that is related to, you know, knowledge about when bombing raids took place, the course of the war in a certain city or um, something like that. Yeah, I mean, like, one of the most common ones we do is talk about, you know, what traffic was like getting to an event. And, you know, we always put it in the context of, you know, how was your transport? Was there any delays because of, you know, partisan sabotage on the road, which, you know, traffic construction, um, you know, accidents, field police getting involved. And, you know, those are, you know, there's, there's, there's so many ways um, that you can... Uh, not necessarily twist, but I mean, it's kind of just like switching out nouns um, to, sure. to make it to make it into a period perspective. So, all right, I think uh, we could probably talk about this forever. I think we're mm-hmm. we're running low on time. Uh, Rudy, was there was there anything else you wanted to go over with regard to uh, creating a persona, using a persona? Uh, you know, I think that my final statement on the matter, like you said, I could talk about it for days. Is is please, 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 guys, if this is something you want to tackle, a challenge you want to accept, don't be intimidated by it. It's something that should be lighthearted, that should be fun, because it will be very, very rewarding. And it it is difficult. Uh, you know, once you have your impression going, it's it can be really hard to get to an event and just be like, oh, you know, what about that football game? Or, oh, you know, I'm taking the kids to Disney or something like that. But honestly, that detracts so much from what you can truly get out of this. So just give your best shot. Just try. Like I said, the more you do it, the more natural it's going to be. Really, really put forth an effort to to put your mindset in. As soon as your car's parked at that event, you have your blusa on. Just just try your best to step into that persona and step back in time. It's it it really will work wonders. Uh, you know, for for you and your your time and enjoyment. You know, I'll say I've never seen anybody who um, had a persona get basically like corrected by someone else when they said, oh, I happen to know for a fact that there's no such lake in such and such a village. You know, it's like everybody who is engaging in this um, immersive environment is just grateful for the opportunity to do that, grateful Mm -hmm. for the other people that they're doing it with. And they're not, nobody's going to like shout you down if you basically make a mistake, you know, or it's like the last event you said that you had, had never driven a car and now you're talking about driving a car, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff. Like I've never seen that happen. It's one of those events you can't really describe it. You sort of have to be there because it just felt so much like you were actually in Normandy. I think that female reenacting is still sort of in its embryonic stage. But I do think that there is room to grow. A lot of reenactors probably had like some sort of burnout maybe from like years past. It sucks, but it was a pretty good pause for everyone to kind of like regroup and like kind of like a really nice refresh to get back out there. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. All right, well, Vili, thank you very much for coming on and uh, sharing your expertise. Um, expertise is a strong word, but thank you for having me. <laughs> Rudy, it has been great talking to you. Thank you for coming back on, and I hope that um, I hope to see you in the field uh, sometime sooner than later. 
Yeah, likewise. And I, uh, I look forward to sharing my first persona and also uh, learning a bit more about you and yours. Excellent. Well, thanks again to both of you. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not think about signing up to us on Patreon, where you'll be able to hear the conversation continue as Rudy, Vili, and I talk about how important a good understanding of German culture can be if you're really looking to enhance your impression. So for the lowdown on everything from food, music, and language to class divisions and regional variations in wartime Germany, why not head over to the Reenactors Corner Patreon, where, for not much more than the price of a cup of coffee every month, you can both help support us and hear lots of great additional content. And thanks to everyone who has signed up so far. We really do appreciate your support. For now, though, that's it for this time, and we'll see you in the field. Before we go, you may want to check out Fela Kopf over at german-worldwar2.com, that is german-ww2.com, where they sell lots of pocket litter and a lot of cool paperwork stuff. And you can get 7% off of your next purchase there by using the discount code PODCAST2020, that is PODCAST2020, at checkout. Once again, uh, and as always, thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retroman, for editing this podcast. Thanks, Mike.